High Point Church. Great to be here with you today. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. Um, I know it's been a rainy week and a rainy little stretch, but we are here and we are full of faith today and expectation for what God wants to do. Amen? You guys with me today? I need a little love, and you know, you can say amen, you can say "Mm mm-hmm, you can say, mmm, that's good. Why don't you try it? Mm. It just feels right, doesn't it? It just feels so good. Question for you as we get into the message today. You ever walked into a room, and and you, you thought you were walking into a room by yourself, and you're kind of doing your thing, and maybe you're setting up at the kitchen table or washing dishes, or maybe it's at work, and then you just, you sense that you are not alone. You know what I'm talking about, where you have what I would almost call like that sixth sense feeling, where you're like, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm by myself right now. There's just a, there's a presence in the room, right? Or, or you feel that feeling where somebody is watching you, Right? Maybe it's a family member who's trying to creep you out, right? You know what I'm talking about, though, where, where there's just that sense where you're like, I, I, I feel somebody else's presence in the room, and you just kind of, your head gets on a pivot. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Just making sure. I'm just making sure. This past, last week, let me give you for instance. This past week, I was getting ready to go upstairs I'm the only one left in my house, in my living room, and the lights have been turned off, right? I got everything ready. I'm getting ready to go upstairs. I'm getting ready to go to bed. And I hear my oldest child coming down the stairs, right? It's dark, and I'm thinking to myself, this is my chance. I'm going to scare him real bad, right? Because I'm a good father, and your children need these kinds of things in their life. So the lights are off. I know what he's coming now. He forgot something before going to bed. And I knew what he was coming to get. I knew where he was going. So I quickly, you know, scamper as quietly as I can to the corner of the room. Right? It's dark. I'm like, he's going to round the corner, and I'm going to give it to him. He's going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, he gets in my house. He walks down the little hallway, right? And I'm on the other side of the wall. And I'm just waiting for him to round the corner. And he gets all the way to the corner, and he stops. And I'm thinking to myself, what's he doing? I know he's right there. I know it. And I'm waiting, and I'm as quiet as can be. Like, he's going to come. He's going to round the corner. He doesn't. He's just standing there. Staring into the dark living room. And I thought to myself, he knows something is not right. He sensed his father's presence waiting for him. Right? And he literally is waiting. And you know how like, you're listening for breathing even in this moment? I'm listening for everything. I'm being as quiet as I can. And all of a sudden, I, he pulls out his phone and the flashlight begins to scan the room. He knows something is not right. And he begins to scan the room. And of course, the light gets to me finally. And I look like the weird creeper dad in the corner with a deer, you know, a deer in the headlights. And we had a good laugh over it because he busted me and he busted me hard. He sensed the presence. There was a presence in the room. He knew something wasn't right. He was right. I was going to get him. 
<sighs> we sense things, don't we? Real, literal presence, but also spiritual presence. Do you sense God's presence? We're, we were singing about it. You heard my wife Amy mention it. You, you, the, the words and the lyrics, we had Gerald reference it. There is God's very presence. And my question for you today is, do you recognize it? Do you sense it? Do you feel it? Do you recognize God's very presence at work and in your life? And furthermore, do you recognize when his presence is absent? Now, I realize this gets into a theological conundrum today. What I'm not saying in this message today is that this is about you losing your salvation or that somehow God withdraws his presence because you're not actually a Christian. No, I'm not talking about that. But I, I am speaking about the very presence of God. You can feel it. Sometimes you can even feel it in a corporate worship environment where something just happens in the room. You feel it. You know it. You sense it. Do you recognize God's presence? Do you recognize the absence of his presence? Do you even care about his presence? We're in a series called Set Apart. And we have defined holiness in this moment. Not only is being set apart, because that's what the actual word holy means, right? But, but to, to take this word that for many of us feels very religious-y and like it only belongs in church and it's kind of stuffy and kind of just, it doesn't have much context for us. Well, well, here's how we're redefining it for us today. That holiness is God's people experiencing God's presence as they live out God's purpose. That all of these things... God's people, that we should be holy and set apart as his very people, that we experience his presence. And the way that happens is uniquely different than everything else you experience and that your purposes would be found ultimately in him. It's not just about your job and your paycheck. There is something bigger that God has put you on this planet to do. To experience. Holiness is God's people. You experiencing God's presence as we live out God's purpose. And everybody said, Amen. That's good. Moses talks about God's presence. And this is what he writes. He says in Exodus 33, after the Israelites have come out of slavery, they're going through the wilderness, and, and, and he says, God, he's talking with God, he's having an exchange with God. If you are pleased with me, Moses says, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation, these people, they're your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
In other words, all of these things that Moses is saying, I really want you to do this. God, I want you to go with us. I want you to be with us. We need your presence. We need you to teach us. We need, you to, we need to know right and wrong. We need to know all these things. And God, he wraps the whole thing up by saying, guess what? I got you. My presence is going to go with you. and It's going to give you rest. In other words, his, his presence my paraphrase from verse 13 through 14. If you're pleased with me, it produces his pleasure in your life. Like when you experience God's presence, there is, a, there is the, the pleasure of your heavenly father that you feel and you sense. And you know what it does? It gives you confidence. You don't have to walk around with your head down and your, and your shoulders slumped. You can be confident that you are a son and a daughter in God's house. God's presence brings the knowledge of right and wrong. Like you're, you're anchored in truth because of God's presence in your life. You know right and you know wrong and you can de distinguish and determine between the two. You know God intimately. Like not just, what's up, bro? Not that you know of God, but that you know him. You know him. That you would experience his favor. As in like his blessing in your life. I'm not up here preaching some health and wealth gospel. But you also need to know this. That God's presence brings absolute blessing in your life. And you should not be ashamed of it. When you put your faith in Jesus, there is a blessing that comes in knowing him and being a part of the people of God. Walk in it. Own it. Be confident. And lastly, his presence brings rest. You don't have to wander in your heart filled with anxiety. No, no, no. You can be anchored to the God who brings rest to your soul. And that is great news, church. And that is good. Mm, that's good. So my question to you is, are you experiencing that, his rest in your life? Are you experiencing his favor and blessing in your life? Do you really know right and wrong? Like, do you, honestly, are you living that out? Do you know him? Is he teaching you his ways? Do you feel the confidence of being a son and daughter in God's house? Do you sense and feel his presence? And furthermore, do you sense the absence of that? You see, the Bible gives us picture after picture of the word presence and God coming and drawing close and God withdrawing. In fact, even Cain, who's the, you know, the, the son of Adam and Eve, the Bible says he murders his brother and his punishment is to be cast from God's presence. And he says, this punishment is too much for me to even bear. We see God's presence filling the temple as people are worshiping. And we also see God's presence being withdrawn from the temple. We see God's presence at work in the lives of kings and queens and judges and leaders and elders. And then we see Jesus who promises the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. He dies 
He rises from the grave victorious over sin and death. And he says, I've got a helper that's coming to you. It's going to be like, well, not like, it's going to be my very presence that lives inside of you. But then the scriptures also say to not quench the very spirit of God that's living inside of you. In other words, without us talking about you losing your salvation, you can in fact lose, however, this relational intimacy of knowing God and truly walking with him. In other words, you can kind of know him and be positionally saved and yet not be experiencing any of the things I'm talking about. That you really know him, that you know right and wrong, that he's teaching you, then growing you, that you feel blessed and that you feel confident in who you are and that you are at rest. You can be a Christian. You can have put your faith in Jesus and not be experiencing any of that. And the sad reality is that many of us don't even know it because we don't sense God's presence. Don't feel it. Or maybe a better way to say it is that for many of us, we just don't really care. We just don't care. There's a, a story of somebody in the Bible here, Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16 is the story of one of the great Bible, children's Bible stories that you'll ever read. And it's not really a children's story. And even though he's hailed as a hero, he's not really a hero. He's not even a good guy. His name is Samson, right? And I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of content. And I'm going to do my best. I'm bringing it, I'm doing this today, okay? I can do it. Amy believes in me. But it's tough, okay? This is a big story to condense into a few things for you. But I want you to hear about a man who is a picture of Israel. All of the judges, by the way, when you read in Judges, are microcosms of Israel at large. We miss this. So the conditions and heart problems and challenges that we see of Samson are actually indicative of what the people of God are experiencing in this moment. And so here we have God's holy calling upon Samson. Let's, let's read about it in Judges 13. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You're barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you don't eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Skipping on down to verse 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. We have the woman who's childless 
And God is raising up in this, it's a divine moment. There's a holy calling upon this young boy. And to show you how far God's people have wandered, their awareness, the name Samson is a Canaanite name. She's naming him the name of someone that is not the kind of name that you would name a child as an Israelite. In fact, if you want to get the actual name of Samson right, in Hebrew, it would be pronounced Shimshum. Everybody say that. Say Shimshum. Shimshum. It's kind of fun to say, isn't it? Over time, because we don't talk like that. Say it. Shimshum. What's it sound like? Samson. Hence, Samson. It's a lot easier for us to say. And we can name our dog after things like that. Samson. Yeah, I see some fist pumps, you know. Absolutely. So Samson is set apart. And Samson is a reflection of God's holy calling. The calling that's on Samson is the calling that is on God's people. It is also the calling that is on you. And the calling that is on me to be set apart. Now the uniqueness of this calling, it's a Nazarite vow. In other words, Samson isn't to cut his hair. And part of this vow is filled out or lived out by his mother. Some of it is lived out by him. But understand there is a unique setting apart for his purposes to be God's people and to bring God's people together that they would experience his presence. What is that? Holiness. And so in Judges 21, 25, we see the state of Israel. Bible says that in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's no king. There's nobody leading the ship here. No one righteous, that is. And everyone is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. This is the story of Samson. And this is the story of Israel. It is also many times the story of the church. It is also many times, church, our story, my story, your story. Which is why Peter writes, the apostle Peter, in 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be, be holy in everything you do. Be holy in everything you do. Be set apart in everything. Thing that you do, just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say, Be holy as God is holy. Be holy in everything that you do. In other words, what comes out of your mouth is holy. Is the way that you lead your, your business and your employees and your restaurant and your, and your, and your this and that, your cafe, your, your movie theater, your, your movie choices, your giving, your worship, your, the, the relationship with your neighbors, all the things. Is it led by God's holiness? Is it set apart in everything that you do? Or are you like 
Israel doing simply what you think is right in your own eyes. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. False. You may try, but it's not going to work out well for you. See, Samson rejected God's holy calling. Over and over again, Samson just doesn't, he just doesn't care. What does he do? He lives in his own strength. Sound familiar? You built a life in your own power and in your own strength, and guess what you don't really need? You don't really need God. There's no desperation. There's no hunger. Oh, you, you know some things that you should do, right? But church and faith and the people of God and living for God, honestly, it's just all optional. It's like going to the buffet and, and choosing what you want and leaving, you know, that sounds nice. That looks good. I'll take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, put it on the plate. I'm going to leave that there. And that doesn't really, mm, that's been sitting under the heating lamp for a while. Uh, no thanks. And I get what I want and I leave it all the other stuff behind because I'm choosing what I want in my own eyes. And that's how many of us live out this faith. Look what Samson does in, excuse me, that was, I just hit the mic in my pocket. My bad. Getting animated. In, in, in Judges 14, Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. If you don't know, God has commanded his people in this moment to not marry outside the millions of people in the tribe of Israel. And the reason he's commanded that is that the foreign gods would become a snare to God's people. So he says, don't go marry people who are worshiping other gods. This is going to drag you down. Don't do that. But Samson has other plans. And so he goes down to Timnah. And he finds himself a beautiful woman of the Philistines. He came and told his father, verse 2, and mother. He says, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now get her for me as my wife. Okay, time out. We got a lot of problems right here, okay? I can't even get into the intentional moment here. The writer is, is, is writing in such a way here, judges, for this moment to come as a, a little bit of a shock to you. Who talks to their mom or dad this way? Samson did. He's commanding his father to get this woman for him. Problem number one. Actually, problem number one is, where he's trying to find a wife from in the first place. But, okay, moving on. Get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my own eyes. And the writer here wants you to understand that he is connecting the dots between Samson and Israel. Israel is doing what is right in his own eyes. And guess who is following right in the same accord? Samson. This is what I want because it's right for me in my own eyes. In other words, Samson isn't living any way differently than everybody else. 
he has rejected God's holy calling before he's even had the moment, if you're familiar with the story, where he actually rejects the vow. But we'll, we'll, we'll see all those moments. I can't even get to all of it today. But over and over and over again, we see an intentional disobeying or indifference or apathy towards the things of God. Disobedience in this moment, what does it do? It creates distance. And people wonder why they don't sense God's presence. Many times it's because we don't care about his presence. We don't care enough to even listen and be led and do what our Heavenly Father is asking. Is it any surprise that we do not feel the confidence of walking in relationship as a son and daughter in this house? when we simply choose to live how we want to live. You guys with me? The things that we watch. It's easy to come back to what I'm about to hit here. This is an easy one to come to. So I'm not going to pick on just this singular thing, but it's a real thing. Purity in the church. Generosity in the church. Kindness on social media in the church. I mean, church, I'm stunned at times. And I've even, I've been a contributing person at times where it's like, what am I doing? I felt myself rising about an innocuous post about cereal and milk this past week, right? That, that had like 150 comments on it. And somebody posted, you shouldn't even eat milk because it's unhealthy for you, right? <laughs> somebody from, you know, I grew up with in the church. And I was like, hi, thanks. Thanks for being a wet blanket and ruining what was supposed to just be a fun, silly moment, right? That stuff's poison. It'll kill you. I'm like, okay, time out. But here's the thing. I could feel myself rising up. And I, you know, it was like the, the keyboard warrior was beginning to flex. And all of a sudden I got up and I was like, what am I doing? I know I'm being drawn into these moments when I'm not getting enough time in God's presence. I'm not resting in him. All of a sudden, the anchor of what is right and wrong and how to treat one another and to know God and just be confident in who cares. I'm confident in who God has made me in this silly, dumb little post. I don't have to fight with you about this. This is dumb and a waste of time. So I didn't. Thank you. Thank you. But you guys with me? It's amazing how we love God and then our, our, the, the rightness and wrongness and truth suddenly becomes compromised when we find ourselves in a situation where we want what we want, when we want, how we want it, and we choose to do what is right in our own eyes. Because we do not cherish this relationship with God. We do not cherish His presence. I don't cherish it. Like Samson, I have built a life in my own strength and I don't really need you. In all of Judges, 
There is only one account where the hero, quote unquote, does not pray for God's wisdom, which there is not. There is no anguish cry except in his death moment. But there's never a moment where Samson repents. There's never a moment where Samson cries out in anguish. There's never a moment where Samson asks for help, for guidance, for God. There's never a moment. And what is also interesting is that God raises up a deliverer through Samson. It is also the only account where the people of God also have no anguish cry. They don't ask for help either. In every other account in Judges, we see God providing a deliverer after he responds to the anguished cry of his people. There's never an anguished cry. There's never an ask. There's never an, oh God, we need you. Would you help us? Nothing. Because people are completely fine and content living in their oppression. In fact, Samson is indicative and then he's marrying foreign wives. This is the picture of Israel completely fine sleeping with the enemy. Just fine with it. No big deal. And so we see distance being created here because disobedience creates distance. And while this might come across a little bit cheesy, I couldn't figure out any other way to say this. And I went back and forth with Amy in the living room, but strength can lead to strut. All right. In other words, there is a pride sometimes that happens as we build this life in our own power. We don't need him anymore. And so it's not the confidence of being a son and daughter in God's house. It's the pride of I don't really need you. I got this. I got it. Thanks, but no thanks. I'll take it from here. Strength leads to strut. And the great tragedy of Samson in Judges 16, 20. We have this moment. Samson has long hair, by the way. He's got long hair. And the scriptures tell us that's part of his Nazarite vow. And that this is where, in his dedication to God, his strength comes in this moment. And so he's been hiding this secret to his power so to speak. But as is often the case in the story of Samson and many times in our own lives, what happens? He is, he is snared by a, a, the per, a person that he has fallen in love with, quote unquote. There is lust at work in Delilah. She keeps asking him. She says over and over again, what's the secret to your power? What's the secret to your power? And, and, and she's working for the Philistines in this moment. Samson has to be about 19 bricks short of common sense not to see that Delilah is working and manipulating in this moment. But that's either here nor there. The sad reality is that he gives up the secret to his strength and power. And while he is asleep, they cut his hair with a razor. And in chapter 16, the scriptures say that the Philistines begin to rush upon Samson. And Delilah wakes him up. 
And she says, oh, 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 Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. The Lord's presence was not with him. And because God's presence was not with him, do you know what he had none of? He had no strength. He was defeated. He was made prisoner in this moment. And if this isn't the story of the people of God, I don't know what is. See, many times, church, there are, we know the right things to say. We understand it on paper. But many of us don't encounter or experience God's presence and consequently, we don't have much strength, real strength. Oh, we've got manufactured strength that we're trying to live in many times and we, we choose what's right in our own eyes and we disobey and we wander and we choose our own course and our own path. And we do ultimately what we think is right in our own eyes rather than responding to the true holy calling that is upon you. That we would be God's people, holy and distinct, different, set apart in how we live and treat one another. And how we live and worship God, that we would be God's people, experiencing God's presence, the joy of the Lord. And that joy is my strength. And that joy and that presence as we live out God's purpose, which is next week. Do you sense his presence? Is he really with you? Or maybe a better way to say it is, are you really with him? Are you walking with him in holiness? Church, you've got to hear this. And I know I'm taking a little bit more time today, but you've got to hear it. The call of God upon his people is not that we would blend in with the world. It's that we would step into the fullness confidently of what it looks like to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And whether that makes you look different or not, it does not matter. You have been called to be His people and to encounter His presence in all of His fullness. Yeah, you can clap for that. That is who God has called you to be. And that means at times you're going to be in middle school and people are going to think, you're crazy. What do you mean you're not laughing at this sex joke for the thousandth time or the meme or the gossip or the lusty thing here or cheating on the test? It means your relationship as you're dating, it's going to look different. It should. It should. And that's okay. In fact, it's more than okay. This is, not, this is not a curse and it's not a burden 
No, no, no. What does Jesus say? My commands are not burdensome. This is the blessing of God in our lives. To know him and to get to walk with him. I get to be holy in my parenting, holy in my marriage, holy in what comes out of my mouth, holy in my generosity, holy in the way I love one another, holy when I get to church and come ready to worship, holy in literally prioritizing being a part of this church and showing up. Holiness in everything that you do because we cherish God's presence. Stand to your feet. Question is, what do we do about it? You already heard the answer at the beginning of service. You call out to him. That's it. You got to have a moment where you say, Jesus, I need you. Not in my pride. It's not about my strength or my power. It's about you and I need you, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. I've wandered. Forgive me, Lord. I've been doing this the way I want to do it. Not anymore. Not anymore, Lord. You have my heart. You have all of me. So right where you're standing today, maybe you need a moment like that. A moment Samson never had but a moment that Jesus continually gives us over and over again because he is a good and gracious Savior. So take this moment. Let's be quiet just before the Lord right now. Whatever you need to give to him, Give it to him. Whatever you're doing in your own strength, give to him. Wherever you know you're not living the way God's asked you to, ask God to forgive you and start walking the other way. It is as simple as that. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. More and more and more. God, far be it from us to have wandering hearts. But to follow you, Lord with all we got with our hands open wide Lord in a heart that is dedicated to you holy in everything that we do oh how we love you Lord and we cherish your presence